0: I don't generally like to sing a solo before I preach for a lot of reasons. I feel like I'm up here the whole time and you'd rather see somebody else and hear somebody else. I don't mind singing duets, trios, quartets, men's groups, choir, whatever. I just don't like singing solos before I preach. But I'm gonna sing this morning. My wife and I were practicing and every time we started singing, she started coughing and I thought that's not a real nice duet. So she bowed out. She said, I think I can make it through, but she never could in practice so we decided no. And I woke up thinking about the song this morning my wife and I were talking, and she said, why don't you sing All Your Anxiety? I said, that'd be a good idea. All Your Anxiety, all, there are a lot of anxiety today, so listen, please, may the song, I pray, uh, minister to your heart. <laughs> Is there a heart or bound by sorrow is there a life way down with care? Come to the cross each burden bearing All your anxiety leave it there All your anxiety, all your care Bring to the mercy seat, leave it there Never a burden he cannot bear Never a friend like Jesus Come then at once, delay no longer his entreaty kind and sweet you need not fear a disappointment you shall find rest at the mercy seat all your anxiety all your care Bring to the mercy seat, leave it there. Never a burden he cannot bear. Never a friend like Jesus. Casting all your care upon him for. He careth for you. What's that verse in Psalm 55, 22? Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Go right along with the song. Boys and girls, ages four years through fourth grade, you can head out to children's church, All right. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, if you will, Ephesians chapter 3. We were away from our study of Ephesians for one Sunday. We finally got back to it, remember? After Easter, a couple of Sundays, and uh, revival meeting, and post-revival message. Now we wanna, And we got back to Ephesians, and then last week, Mother's Day, got away from Ephesians. Now we come back to it. Chapter 3, we begin this morning. Actually, in verse 1, Paul begins a new sentence. He doesn't get too far with a sentence and he, uh, of course, led by the Holy Spirit, has on his mind still the message from chapter 2, the last, well, verses 11 through 22 about Jews and Gentiles being in one body. So he begins a new sentence and barely does he start the new sentence and he goes into a, what we call a parenthesis. Was it a short parenthesis? No, as a matter of fact, it's one sentence long. But it starts in verse 2 and goes all the way through verse 13. Now, don't be really look at your Bible to see if there's any periods in there because somebody might have put a period in there, but that is not a Greek period. That's an English period, okay? But from verses 2 all the way through 13, you have one long sentence. And then in verse 14, he picks up where he left off in verse 1. If you will, please notice verse 1. How does he begin verse 1? Out loud, please, first three words. For this cause, look at verse 14. First three words, for this cause. So he's back to that thought that he began with, but we know this is not just... Paul wasn't thinking, oh, you know, I forgot something. I better get that in here. No, it's God's Holy Spirit. All scriptures give my inspiration of God. God's Spirit says, "Uh, Paul, I want you to do some more explaining about this uh, one body thing, about the church, okay? So that really is what chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 are all about. Paul is, on his mind is he wants to pray for these believers. He really is praying for them. And he wants them to know that he's praying for them. And he wants them to know what it is that he is praying for them. What are his requests? And that begins at verse 14. But as he begins this, and then before he gets to the actual mention of his prayer, he says, let's talk some more about the wonderful, awesome truth that now we have this thing called the church. We have one body, Jews and Gentiles. So we want to just ask a couple of questions today. First of all, what actually is this mystery? We're going to talk about the mystery, the mystery of the church. What is this mystery all about? I want you to go back to chapter 2, and I'm going to read. I can do it now or do it later. I choose to do it now. You'll see why I would want to read it later, but now I think it's better to just go ahead and read it right now because Paul is going to further explain now what this mystery really is all about. It's all based on verses 11 through 22 of the previous chapter, so follow along, please. Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, key verse, but now in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles, who were sometimes afar off, are made nigh, how? By the blood of Christ. Why? How's this happen? For he, Christ, is our peace, who hath made both one. There's a key phrase. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain of two one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them which were nigh. For through him, We both, Jews and Gentiles, have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. For this cause, or for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard, and away he goes, back to the theme of verses 11 through 22 of the previous chapter. So what is this mystery all about? This mystery of the body of Christ, the church, both Jews and Gentiles. Remember, let's define the word mystery. A mystery in the Bible is not one of two things. If you were to grab your phone, don't do it now, I've already done it. Don't grab your phone and grab, well, what is a mystery? Because I'll tell you what it says, okay? If you want to get out your dictionary from your shelf and you want to get and read about the the English dictionary definition of mystery, here's here's what you're going to find. There are two main definitions of mystery. Number one, a novel, play, or movie dealing with a puzzling crime, especially a, you tell me, a murder, right. Murder mysteries, don't you love them? A novel play or movie dealing with a puzzling crime, especially a murder. That's a dictionary definition of mystery. That's not the Bible mystery, okay? This is not, a, this is not another chapter of a Hardy Boy mystery. Nor is this a, Drew, a Nancy Drew mystery. Uh, this is not a Perry Mason mystery. Don't you love those Perry Mason stories? Whoever writes those things is a genius. I mean, you just, they are just so, he is, must be so intelligent. This is not a Perry Mason mystery. And by the way, it's not a Hallmark mystery either. My wife and daughter like to watch these Hallmark love movies. Notice I said wife and daughter. I get in on the end once in a while, I get that final kiss right at the end, you know what I mean? Okay. And then there's these Hallmark movies, those mysteries. Now, those are pretty cool. I usually do computer work and kind of listen, and then when I can tell they're getting their guns out, then I go watch it. Okay, okay, and that's not too often. But anyway, uh, this is not a this is not a hallmark mystery. This is something different. Oh, back to the English dictionary. Number two. Here's another definition of mystery for us today: something that is difficult or impossible to understand or explain. Something that is difficult or impossible to understand or explain. In other words. He's intrigued by the mysteries of outer space. I can tell you one thing, uh, Brother Jeff, you may not be intrigued, but I am. By the mysteries of outer space. I mean, it's like my mind can't even comprehend that, let alone try to understand or explain it. Biology was not my favorite school, my, my favorite subject in school. It was, it was, quite often it was a mystery to me, okay? This is not the idea of the mystery in the Bible. So now, sometimes in the Bible, uh, we might say, boy, that's a mystery for sure, when you're thinking about the Bible or something else. But when you talk about, about the Bible, what is the mystery in the Bible? It's not a novel play or movie, a puzzling crime, trying to solve something. It's not something that's difficult or impossible to understand or perhaps to explain. In the Bible, once in a while... The word mystery will have to do with something that God knows, but man does not know. Something that God knows, but God has chosen to keep secret from mankind for whatever reason. Sometimes in the Bible, there is the idea of something that is, it is hard for us to understand, but we accept it by faith because God says it. For example, the Trinity. Would anybody like to stand to your feet? And, and say, I'll give you a perfect explanation that everybody can understand of the Trinity. You say, yeah, I would not now. Do it later, please. Okay, But we don't understand God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Trinity, one in three and three in one. Co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent, separate, but one God. Our human minds, that's mysterious to us. We have a difficult time with that, but we know it's true because it's Bible. Uh, try to explain the hypostatic union. You say, what is that? Once again, Hypostatic union, you say. I don't even know what that is, let alone explain it. Hypostatic union. The Lord Jesus Christ, great doctrine of the faith. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man at the same time. You figure it out. Fully God, 100% God, 100% man, living on this earth, for 33 years you try to explain that you try to understand that that is very difficult to explain or understand it is not difficult to believe if you believe the Bible is the Word of God amen so we have this word though mystery and in, in we'll see it two or three times in in Ephesians 3 what is it here's a good definition it is some truth that has been previously hidden from mankind but now is understood only because God has chosen to reveal it. Some truth that for some reason was hidden from man's understanding in the past, but now at some time God has chosen to help people understand it because somebody proclaims it and now for the first time God reveals it. He unveils it. He uncovers what was hidden before. Look to, if you will, please. Well, let me just quote you part of a verse, and then we'll look at another one. Romans 16, verses 25 and 26, has this statement, has this part of it, okay? According to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but is now made manifest in his the rest of the verse. I mean, that's really, that's what Bible mystery is all about, okay? That's what the verse says. According to the revelation of the mystery, it's the revealing now of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but is now made manifest. That's mystery in Ephesians 3. Now, we'll come right back here, but go to Colossians chapter 1. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 1. And notice, please, if you will, verses 24 through 27. A great parallel passage. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. For his body's sake, which is the church. Don't miss this now. For his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, According to the dispensation, we're going to see those two words again in Ephesians, minister and dispensation. He said, for for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery, which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but what's the next word? but now is made manifest to his saints. See what a key verse that is? This is all about the church, Christ's body, the mystery which hath been hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just a part of that whole theme. That in Christ, listen, when a person's a believer, he's in Christ and Christ is in us. And all those who are in Christ and all those in whom Christ dwells are no longer two or three or a hundred, but they are one body in Christ Jesus. It's the mystery Paul preaches back in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3. Go back to Ephesians chapter 3, please. I think it's interesting that when God speaks of this mystery, the church, in this very same book, he uses the illustration of the union of a husband and wife to help us understand that. In fact, I said go back to 3. Let's go quickly to Ephesians. Let's go to chapter 5, okay? Look at chapter 5. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. The church gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. And they too shall be what, folks? They too shall be one flesh. This is a two words. Great mystery. But I speak concerning. Finish it with me, please. Christ and the church. Did you get that? Think about husband and wife. Leave your father, leave your mother. Be joined to each other. You see, how, you see how solemn marriage is, folks. You see how filthy, how dirty, how wrong. Any sex before marriage, it's just so bad. Any sex outside of marriage, why that's wrong. It's husband and wife only. Man leaving a, a, a parent, Man leaving his parents, woman leaving her parents, and they come together, and now God says they are, one flesh. This is a great mystery. See how another reason that's so sacred? Because it's a picture or a symbol of something far above our comprehension, but God's great truth that it's all about Christ and his church. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence, that she respect her husband. Now with that in mind, go right straight back to Ephesians chapter 3, And look at the main verse in verses 1 through 13. If there is one verse that stands out as the most important key verse in this passage, it is right about in the middle. It is verse 6. That the Gentiles, everything in verses 1 through 5 now is going to lead up to verse 6 and everything that follows, follows verse 6 right in the middle. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now look at verses 9 and 10. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, God who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Folks, that is That is awesome. What does this principalities and powers, who's that talking about? Out loud, do you know? Angels, by the way, good angels and evil angels. Did you know that all angels are being educated by the church? Yeah, we are professors of student angels. Angels are learning of the wisdom of God. Angels are learning of the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God. And they are learning of the wisdom of God by observing this church, this one body of believers in Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles merged together. That is a marvelous, marvelous truth. So the mystery, the church, one body, even angels being awed at the wisdom and power and glory of God. Now, secondly this morning, who is this man who is writing ...about this great mystery. Who is he? He's Paul the Apostle. And he tells us some very important things in this passage... ...that have to do with his writing these things. First of all, would you notice verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles... First of all, this morning, what about Paul? He was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He calls himself the prisoner of the Lord again in the same book, chapter 4, verse 1. Also in Philemon's, verse 9, he calls himself the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you will, please, to 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 8. Here's what he says to Timothy while he's in prison. While Paul's in prison, listen to what he says. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Timothy. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, and do not be ashamed of the testimony of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God. You see, Paul's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially to the Gentiles, including his preaching to the church at Ephesus, that got him all kinds of problems. If you don't think that's true, read the book of Acts. And it's like every single place Paul goes. He has a wonderful ministry. God is blessing. And then while he's there or after he leaves, what happens? Trouble is stirred up. Question you can answer out loud. Who usually stirred up the trouble? Answer, the Jews. And it led to all kinds of problems as we read about in Second Corinthians chapter 11. Many times he ends up in jail. Somebody said when Paul got to a new town, he didn't ask where's the Holiday in, the nearest hotel. He asked where's the nearest prison because he's going to be there shortly. He's in prison. He's in jail. Why? Why? For preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially to the Gentiles, including Ephesus. We don't have time to go back to Acts and read about it. Remember Ephesus? Great is Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians. What happened? Paul's preaching Jesus Christ. People turn from their idolatry. They accept Jesus Christ. And the silversmiths are not making a lot of money anymore, making their images of Diana. And they got a big problem. They got a big riot. You know the story. I hope you do. Paul's now, he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he simply preached the gospel. By the way, Paul did not consider himself to be a prisoner of Rome. He says, Paul, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of, he doesn't say Rome. He doesn't say Nero. He doesn't say anybody else. He doesn't say he's a prisoner of the Jews. He doesn't say he's a prisoner of the soldiers. He doesn't say he's a prisoner of those who are watching the prison. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, that that spoke to my heart when I read that. He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ, not just because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it it includes that. He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ because he's in prison because of the will of God. He's in prison because he is a captive of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is in control of his life. Jesus Christ is in charge of Paul's life. He is where he is because of the will of God. The call to be saved, the call to preach, the call to go out into all the world just to keep going for the Lord. He, where did it all start? On the road to Damascus when he was saved, when he immediately said, Lord What will thou have me to do? And we know from reading the book of Acts, we know from reading the epistles that he wrote, he was a captive of Jesus Christ. His whole life was focused on Lord Jesus. You have saved me by your grace. You've chosen to reveal your son to me. You've chosen to save me the wretch that I was. I am so undeserving, but you've done that for me. So what do you want me to be? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? How do you want me to think? Oh, Lord Jesus, be my master. I am your servant. Hey, listen, he is captive of the Lord. And I thought about that. What a wonderful way to live. I wrote down this question of application. Has Jesus Christ captured your heart? Has Jesus Christ captured your life? Are you his prisoner? If not, whose prisoner are you? Whose captive are you? Who is in charge of your life? Who is calling the shots? Whose will are you following? Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, I think it's verse 10. He said, if I, if I would be, he said, I seek not to please men, but I seek to please God. He said, if I would just please men, I would, I would not be the servant of God. What's he saying? I'm not a servant of people. I'm not a prisoner of people. And then he says in Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I die daily, 1 Corinthians 15. He said, I'm crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. Boy, I tell you, you study the life of the Apostle Paul in the scripture and you will find he is a man who is absolutely captured by Jesus Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to other things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What does he say in Philippians 3? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I mean, it's, it's all about Christ. Is that what life is all about for you? Is that what he's all about for me? Captured by Christ. Captive of Christ. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And then just, this is not the most important thing, but another lesson, application. A good question. If you or myself, if we ever find ourselves in a real prison like Paul was, question, what will we be there for? If you ever go to jail, what for? If you ever go to prison, what for? I was thinking sometime this past week, somebody that was in my youth group back in Tampa, Florida. They're not all in full-time service now. Many of them are. They're not all godly Christians serving as lay people. Secular work, but living for Christ. Not all of them, many of them are. There's one that's in jail. Every once in a while I get a letter. He's in prison. And it wasn't because he was a preacher of the gospel. It wasn't because he was living for God and things went bad for Jesus' sake. No, he's in prison for something he did that was really bad. So if you ever go to jail, if you ever go to prison, what's it going to be for? Paul was in prison for only two reasons. Number one, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and sometimes that got him in jail. And number two, he was was absolutely a captive of Jesus Christ and doing his will, whatever that might mean or wherever that would lead him, Jesus Christ was his master. What a great lesson from just a little phrase and a verse here. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. We better keep going. Secondly, about Paul, please. He was not complaining or mourning about his circumstances. He was truly excited about something. You know what he was excited about? He was excited about the grace of God. He was not mourning. He's not complaining. He's not griping. He's not asking people to feel sorry for him. In fact, what did he say in verse 13? Wherefore, I desire that you... Ephesian Christians, faint not at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Do not do not be discouraged. Do not feel like things are hopeless and helpless. Like you want to give up and quit and like it's it's all down because Paul is in prison. Poor Paul. He said, No, don't be thinking like that. No, no, don't live in disappointment. Don't live in anxiety. Don't be living feeling sorry for me. So I'm not complaining. I'm not crying. I'm not mourning. I'm not grieving. I'm not quitting. He said, no, I'm excited about something. I'm excited about the grace of God. If there is a key word in this passage, it is the word grace. I mean, I put in my Bible, chapter 3, Christ, grace, mystery. Sums up the chapter. Christ, grace, mystery. Where's that coming from? Follow along, please. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words. We already read them, chapter 2, 11 through 22. Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Wherefore, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of the saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God according to his eternal purpose, which he hath purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, this whole passage is about Christ. It's about the mystery of the church, and it's about the grace. And because of that, Paul is not complaining. He's not mourning. He's not grieving. Why? Because the grace of God had saved him. He knew that. The grace of God had led him into ministry. He knew that. The grace of God had directed him to specific places. The grace of God had had led him as to what to preach. The grace of God had enabled him through his ministry. The grace of God had preserved him in all of his ministry. He's very much aware of the grace of God in his life. And by the way, also, listen now, the message that Paul preached always centered on the grace of God. The grace of God. I tell you, when you read... The epistles, how often do you find messages about the grace of God? Just chapter 2, remember, verse 4, or verse, what was it, 4? But God, who was rich in mercy for his great love were with you, loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And verses 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved. I mean, just read the book of Romans and watch for the word grace. Oh, Read the book of Galatians and look for the word grace. I shouldn't have even singled out Romans and Galatians. You can read just about any book that God led Paul to write and you will find that a a key word is that word grace. And Paul was always aware of the fact that it was by the grace of God that he was what he was. And so he basically says, hey, don't feel sorry for me. Why? Because I'm 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 where I am by the grace of God. I'm preaching a message of the grace of God. I'm enabled to continue by the grace of God. In fact, <laughs> keep your finger here, please. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at this verse later. I'll just, let's go right there now. 1 Corinthians 15. In verses 1, 2, and 3, he defines the gospel. Verses 5 and following, he says, It ought to be understood by all with no doubt that Christ Jesus did rise again from the dead. And he gives several proofs of his resurrection. One of those proofs was the fact that Jesus Christ revealed himself to many of his followers. In fact, one time over 500 at one time. He said the most amazing thing is that Jesus Christ rose again and chose to reveal himself to me. Somebody who hated him. Somebody who persecuted his followers and had him killed. Who knows how many hundreds and thousands of people Paul tried to get to, to denounce their faith, renounce their faith and live or die and he had him killed. Said, that was me. And God chose to reveal his son to me. This is amazing. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. Let's pick it up there. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen of me also as worn, bound, born out of due time. Why? You know why, folks? Watch what he says now. It's all because of the grace of God. For I am the least of the apostles. That I'm not meet. I'm not worthy. It's not even right for me to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But don't ever don't don't miss verse 10. You talk about a key word grace. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Oh, therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach. And so you have believed. Look at verse 10 again. But by the grace of God, Paul said, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Could we stop for just a moment? I hadn't planned to park here and I won't park here for long. But could, you, could that be your testimony? You say, well, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't hate Jesus before I was saved. I wasn't like Saul of Tarsus. Listen now, it really doesn't matter what we did before we were saved. As a matter of fact, we were all, according to Romans 5, we were all enemies of God. We all hated God. We all did our sinful thing, whatever it was. The night that I was saved, I was very conscious of two things that I knew were wrong in my life. You say, what were they? I don't have to tell you. You don't have to tell me yours, all right? We're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all deserve judgment, amen? We all deserve condemnation, right? We all deserve hell. And if any of us are saved, we are saved by the grace of God, amen? And we should never forget that. And whatever there is today that is good about us, whatever it is, we have to be able to say, I am, with Paul, I am what I am by the grace of God. He said, well, I'm saved because I was brought up in a good Christian family. Well, who decided that? Did you pick what family you're going to be born in? Well, I became a Christian because I live in the, the Bible Belt, the South. You know, we got plenty of good churches and good Bibles and you know, all that. Okay, did you choose that? And by the way, not everybody in the Bible Belt is saved. Would you agree? Not everybody's in a good church this morning. Amen? That's just the way it is. So it's not because we were in a good family. It's not because we were in a certain part of the country. No, listen. In fact, what did Jesus say to Peter when Peter made his confession? Jesus said, whom do men say that I am? He said, well, and the disciples said, well, some say you're uh, John the Baptist, resurrected. Some say you're Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the other prophets. That's what people are saying. And he says, well, whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of God of the living God. Is that true? What did Jesus say to Peter? Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. You know why you're blessed? What you just said? Flesh and blood hath not revealed that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. You know what that's called? That's called grace. We better be thankful for the grace of God that God chose To reveal the person and work of Jesus Christ to us. Because are you listening? We would never have figured it out on our own. I don't care how smart we are. We will never figure that out on our own. That is the work of God. That is the work of God's blessed Holy Spirit. And that means that we ought to say with Paul, I am what I am by the grace of God. And secondly, did you notice what he said? His grace bestowed upon me. What's next? Are you listening? was not in, you tell me, vain. It wasn't wasted. If you're here today and you're not living for Jesus Christ, you can't say that. And that's sad. The fact that God would save you by His grace and now you live like you live. Like you've never been saved. That God in His mercy and grace would reveal Christ to you and you could be born again. The marvelous Grace of God, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas was blind, but now I see. You see, yeah, that's my testimony. All right, how you living? Is that being shown in your life? Paul said, God's grace was not in vain. Boy, I'll tell you, I was going to preach tonight on backslidden Christians. I'm not gonna preach that tonight because I know I'm not gonna finish this. I'll finish this. But maybe they fit together. Because there may be somebody here today that you say in my soul, down deep in my heart, I know that I have been saved. I am a Christian, I know that. Then you have to bow your head and say, right now, I can't say with Paul, his grace was not in vain because I'm not living. Like I should be living. Now go back if you will please. The rest of that verse was he said. And and yet not I but the grace of God. He said I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. So he said listen. I worked harder for Christ than anybody else. But he said that's that's not the issue. He said that was all the grace of God. God's grace enabled me to do that too. Now go back to Ephesians 3 and let's finish it up. Ephesians chapter 3. He's not complaining. Griping because he's focused on the grace of God. But once again, please, would you notice verses seven and eight in our text? He says, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, which was given unto me by the effectual working of his power. See, it's all about God's power. It's all about God's calling. It's all about God's strength. It's all about God's message. It's all about the person of Christ. That's what is absolutely in Paul's mind and heart. And so he says, listen, so I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's okay. It's because I'm a captive of Jesus Christ. That's fine. It's because I've been a preacher. That's fine. But he said, I'm just, look at verse 8 again. He said, unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given. There it is again, see? Unto me, who am the less than the least of all the saints... He's not just the least of the saints. He says, I'm less than the least of the saints. And he, to remember back in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, I, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the, the church of Jesus Christ. He said, oh, I'm less than the least of the saints, but this grace was given that I should preach Christ among the Gentiles. What should I preach? The unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul served by the grace of God, and he preached a message by the grace of God. It's all through his epistles. Why is that important? Because Paul never forgot that he was was less than the least of the saints. I remember very well one night, one night way back yonder in my ministry, I'd had surgery. I was pretty low. I was pretty discouraged. And I remember like it was yesterday, lying on a sofa in our living room. And I thought, you know what, Larry? You're nothing. You say, well, it must have been Satan. It may have been. <laughs> Satan likes to do that to us also. He likes to beat us down, does he not? He's the accuser of the brethren. So it may have been satanic that he was working me over. I don't know. It may have been the Holy Spirit. He said, Larry, whatever I've accomplished through you, it's not you. Whatever I choose to accomplish through you in the future, it's not you, you know why? Because you are nothing. And I remember lying there thinking, you know how small I am, you know how little I am? I'm, I'm, I'm the hole in the middle of a donut. <laughs> so they say, how'd you get thinking? You must have been eating a Krispy Kreme? No, I probably would have liked to have been. Maybe, that, maybe that'd give me enough sugar to cook, kick, kick out of the thing. I don't know, but I'm lying on the sofa thinking, you know what you are? You are not just a donut. You are like the hole in the middle of a donut. In fact, you're less than the hole in the middle of a donut. I'll never forget that night. Paul said, you know what? That's me. I'm less than the least of the saints. And yet what a marvelous truth that God has chosen to reveal to me his truth. That was a mystery all through the Old Testament and the Gospels after Pentecost, Jews, Gentiles, by believing in Jesus Christ, united in one body. Let's close with this, please. Read verses 7, 8, and 9 together. Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me, by the effectual working of His power. Unto me, who am less and the least of all saints is this grace given. What grace? That I should have the privilege of preaching among the Gentiles of all people the unsearchable, untrackable riches of Christ. And to make all men see What is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto principalities and powers, angels in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Would you bow your heads please today? A passage about the mystery of the church. And yet a passage with some powerful lessons, applications for our lives today in 2021. So where are you today in your relationship with the Lord? Can you say, I'm a captive of Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner to Christ. Whatever happens in my life, it really doesn't matter because I am his. He is mine. He calls the shots. I just follow. He just comes up with a plan and I live it out. You know why? Because he is everything to me. I'm nothing. Can you say that today? I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Can you say today, I am what I am by the grace of God. And it shows in my life because his grace was not in vain. Oh, I'm not all I could be. I'm not all I should be. I'm not all I want to be. But I'm not what I used to be for sure. And it's all because of God's grace. Who's who's planning your life? Whose will are you following? Our Father, today, we thank you for this passage of scripture. Thankful today that we can sit here, that I can stand here and that we, as your children, are members of your spiritual family. We have the forgiveness of all of our sins. We have the gift of everlasting life. We've been adopted into your family as your children. And we are a part of your body, your building, we are your bride. We marvel today because we don't deserve any of this. It's all of your grace, it's all of your mercy, it's because of your love and the death, the burial, the resurrection, the gospel of your Son. Help us, I pray, to live lives of gratitude and praise and thanksgiving. To Keep our eyes upon you, to be your servants, your ministers, your spokesmen, tools in your hand, Father, your prisoner. We pray in Jesus Christ's name and today for his sake. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, together?